Good morning. You guys doing well? Having a great summer? Here in the desert? Yeah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 14. We'll be looking at uh, chapter 14 and 15. This is our Braveheart teaching series, Courage in a World of Compromise. The title of this weekend's message is Character Matters. Take a look at your notes there at the top. You've heard me say this many times, and I'll say it many more times. We said it a lot during the first Peter teaching series. It's not what happens to me. It's not what happens to me but what happens in me that either makes me or breaks me in life. It's not what happens to me, but what happens in me. What happens in me has to do with my character, has to do with my perspective. It has to do with my response to what is happening to me. We tend to make much of what's happening to us and what matters most is what's happening in us in response to what is happening to us. Character matters. Character is about spiritual maturity. You'll also notice on your notes, spiritual maturity is not about age. You can grow old, but not grow up. And it's not about appearance. You can look old and not grow up. It's not about academics, because you can have a lot of degrees and not grow up, still be immature. It's not about achievements. You can have a whole lot of stuff big homes and big cars and all kinds of money and still not be very mature. It is about having a Christ-like attitude. That's what spiritual maturity is about. That's what character is about. It is about having a Christ-like attitude, Philippians 2.5. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the folks sitting around you and I want you to interact with them as it relates to this picture. Take a look at this picture up on the screen. There it is. What's the difference between this thermostat and the thermometer. There's a, there's a major difference between the two and it has a lot to do with character. So discuss it with the folks sitting around you real quick. Do that. So this is really important as it relates to our understanding of character. I don't know if you guys noticed that on the bottom of the one that says thermostat, it says proactive. And then on the one on the bottom where it says thermometer, it's reactive. That's the, that's the, major, the major difference. You, you'll also notice there on your notes, so then a thermostat or a proactive type person, their behavior is the product of choices based on biblical values regardless of circumstances, regardless of the people, regardless of what's going on in their life, versus a person who is more of a thermometer, kind of more reactive, their behavior is a product of feelings based on people, things, and circumstances. So this person is gonna be a little more bipolar as it relates to life. You're gonna have the ups and downs of life. So reactive or thermometer people are affected by their environment. If the weather's good, they feel good. If people treat them right, they feel right as opposed to a proactive person, a thermostat type people, they carry their own weather with them. It makes no difference whether it rains or shines or it's 110 degrees or it's 70 degrees. And uh, because, it's, because they are not reactive, they are proactive. And that's what we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna introduce you to a guy, uh, his name is Samson. And he's nothing like the Samson I grew up with on the flannel graph. You know, the Sunday school class flannel graph? He was the Samson, the hero Samson. This guy is one jacked up dude, as you will see as we read through this. He is the epitome of an impulsive, violent, egotistical, emotionally immature, sexually addicted womanizer. That's what we're going to look at today. It's going to be quite interesting. And what's sad about this, the, the, the story of Samson is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. He was a man with uh, the Lord's favor, godly parents, tremendous potential, supernatural strength, with more gifts than anyone in his era, in his time, yet he squandered it because of a lack of character. Samson is not a life that you want to live, and, but he's a reflection of their day and time, the Israelites, but he's a reflection of, of many people in our culture today. He's more like a thermometer rather than a thermostat. So we got our work cut out for us. I don't know if you noticed all the fill in the blanks. See, you shouldn't let me go on vacation, okay? 
Because I have, I have stored up a lot of words. Okay, so here we go. We've got a lot of work for us, so let's pray first. We need all the help we can get before we dive into this text and unpack these notes. Let's pray. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love spending time with you. And Father God, your approval and presence in our lives through the indis indispensable and costly love of Christ are the greatest treasure and pleasure in the universe. As we continue to make our home in your love and truth through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, may you grow us more and more into Christ-like character. May you be most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in you, putting on display your redeeming beauty in all circumstances to this lost and dying world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So let's begin reading and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna spend a lot of time on the first three points. They're really big, they're the foundation. Then we're gonna try to race through the, the last of these points. And so the first three, we're gonna spend a lot of time. Let's begin reading Judges chapter 14, verses one through four. Samson went down to Timnah and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Dad, she is hot. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying. And, it's, and he's actually saying love at first sight. We'll talk about that. <clears throat> Verse four, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. This is really an important verse. It really kind of helps us to understand this whole text and how messed up his life is and how God's gonna use Samson in spite of, of his sin and the, the sin that he is surrounded with. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, that is the Lord. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Stop there, let me give you some fill in the blanks. This is where we're going with this. So Samson is, we're gonna talk about his, his dysfunction. So we're looking at characteristics of dysfunction or lack of character, and we're also putting with that people who lack character are, first of all, impulsive, feeling driven. That's what we see in verse one. He saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And note also how demanding. Did, did it seem a little demanding to you? It's like verse two. Now get her for me as my wife. See, Samson's primary dri drive in life is what pleases him and no one is gonna get in the way of that. It's a very similar philosophy of our day and time. And uh, our, the philosophy of our day and time is follow your heart, be true to yourself, and don't let anyone stand in the way. And... Um, Samson reacts to how he feels about what he sees without reflection or consideration. As we talk about impulsiveness here, you can be impulsive in any, in every area of your life. We're talking more relationally and sexually here. But you can be uh, impulsive uh, financially, physically, what you eat, whether or not you exercise, emotionally, every dimension of your life. So in essence, Samson is saying it's love at first sight. So we need to talk about that because I, the Bible actually disputes that. There's no such thing as love at first sight. I hear that all the time in our culture today. And it's actually would be defined more as lust at first sight. And I gave you the, the, the contrast between Hollywood versus heaven kind of love. So let's go through and let's define this because it's really important for us to understand this. Is that Hollywood love or lust is a feeling an experience that happens to you, a mystical sensation sweeps over you one day and then it may disappear the next and it's uncontrollable. It's something you can fall into and fall out of and as long as you feel a certain way, you're in love and when those feelings go away, you're not in love anymore. I don't know how, how many times I've heard people say this, well, I just don't have feelings for her or him anymore. And I wanna say, you don't even have a clue about what real love is. It's not based on your feelings. Or I'm just not into him. I'm not into her. That's our culture. And, and it's also often equated uh, with sex. And, and you guys know this. You can have sex without having true love. 
Oh, and, and you need to also know this, that it's not good sex that leads to a good marriage. It's a good marriage that makes for good sex. And when you reverse that, it just undermines the marriage, the infrastructure of the relationship, the, the compatibility, the communication, the conflict resolution, all that other. So it really starts with that, starts with friendship, starts with relationship, and then on that you build and celebrate in your sexuality. Now here's the contrast is heaven. Love is a choice as opposed to a feeling. Love is a choice. By the way, there's verses there for you. You can look up on your own later as you work through the growing notes. Colossians 3.14, love is a choice that is an action, so it's seen in how I, I treat someone and relate to them, 1 John 3, 18, and it requires knowledge. You can't have love at first sight because it's more about you and how it makes you feel, how this person makes you feel. It's more about, it's more about getting, and it's more consumer, as you saw in the notes there, that, uh, that Hollywood kind of love is getting consumer. Consumer is that my needs are greater than the relationship, and to where you can't really love someone until you get to know them. And the longer I've gotten to know my beautiful bride, boy, the more I can understand how to love her and her to me also. And so love is a choice. It's an action. It requires knowledge. It's more about giving. It's covenant. And covenant relationship as opposed to consumer. So if consumer is my needs are more important than the relationship, then covenant is the relationship is more important than my needs. So you guys tracking with me? You guys understand that? It's really important to understand because our culture is the Hollywood kind of love and we need the heaven kind of love. I love you guys way too much to let you get away with that one and, and to run down that, that path because it'll, it's destructive. And you don't fall into love. You commit to it. You don't fall into love. You commit to it. Love is saying, I will be there no matter what. And it is a major mistake to think that you must feel love to give love. It's a major mistake to think that. In fact, to give love when you don't feel love is greater love and greater evidence of your love. Listen to what Tim Keller has to say from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. If your definition of love stresses affectionate feelings more than unselfish actions, so if your definition of love stresses affectionate feelings more than unselfish actions, you will cripple your ability to grow strong love relationships. On the other hand, if you stress the action of love over the feeling, you enhance and establish the feeling. You enhance and establish the feeling because actions of love lead to feelings of love. It's not the other way around. You don't ever let your feelings, uh, feelings are not initiators, they're responders. And, and so therefore, you're, you're, you're gonna be a person of character. Remember, remember character, remember thermostat, thermometer, thermostat, their behavior is the product of choices based on values versus the thermometer up and down based on feelings, people, things, circumstances. You don't, you don't wanna live that way. That's a bipolar kind of a way to live. There's, there's, there's a steadiness to your life. There's a strength to your life. There's a stability uh, to your life. Now, here's the second thing. Uh, he's unteachable. And people without character are, are unteachable. This guy should be getting the help of mom and dad, but, but he's not. Verse three, first part, he says, is there not, his dad said, is there not a woman among all our people? And then the second part of uh, three, he responds, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. I mean, Samson totally ignores parental counsel and authority. And now the book of Proverbs says that we are proud and foolish not to seek advice. So who do you seek advice from? You have people in, in your life that you can go to that are godly people, that'll redirect you back to God's word and to, back to God? You're a fool if you don't have people in your life that you can bounce things off of and you can talk with. And particularly, Samson, he, he should have ran right from the get-go because this gal's not a, a believer and he comes from a group that believes in God. And so he should have run. But even if she was, he should have hung out with her and brought her among his family and church family so that they could give him feedback on the, con the kind of uh, gal that she is. That's, that's really, really wise. 
But he doesn't do that. This is what I found oftentimes is when couples hook up and then they kind of isolate themselves and nobody's gonna tell us what to do. And, and sometimes it, it goes into really dysfunctional, really unhealthy relationships. I've seen that a lot. And it just shows that there's some uh, lack of character there. And in fact, God's prohibition, and this is on your notes, God's prohibition in Exodus, Exodus 34, 15 through 16 is not against interracial marriage, but against interfaith marriage. That's what he's dealing with. Now, dad should have taken the conversation a little bit further because it's almost as if mom and dad kind of give in to him when he says, but she's, man, this gal, this, it's love at first sight. And dad says, but, but can't you find one among your people? Dad doesn't take the conversation any further because the, the son says, I want her. And dad should have stepped in there. So the conversation should have gone like this. And this is how you respond to your friend when they're wanting to hook up with an unbeliever. So Samson says, I want her, dad. And dad says, She's not a believer. Samson responds, but she's hot. Dad says, so is hell, son. <laughs> so is hell. So that, that's how he should have responded. That's how you respond. And, and you, you should go back, engage again, and say, wait a minute, what are you thinking? Where are you going with your life? You're not going in a direction that you should be going. And... Uh, so let me give you three qualifications for choosing a mate. These are deal breakers right here. And uh, I just saw that uh, my wife showed me this, that the Trucellas, Matt and Deborah Trucella, who teach our Marriage and Rich class and also the Intimacy class, they just posted, it's online, you can go to our Facebook page, their Desert Breeze, and they just posted an article with the, uh, the relevant Christian magazine, 10 Reasons Not to Get Married. Really a great article. And so a lot of what I'm saying is, is in that article, and, and, and that would be an article to, to get photocopy and to pass out to people that are getting ready to get married, okay? Seriously, because there's a lot of good insight in that article. This is what I'm, I'm sharing with you here. So here's the first thing. These are deal breakers. We must have spiritual unity. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. And, and by the way, I've heard this way too many times. Yeah, he said he was a believer, mama. And he's... He's been off drugs for three weeks. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not quite enough time. And, and in fact, you probably need to know this dude or dudeette for at least a year and bring him around the family. And let's see what's going on. Let's see what kind of character that this person has. And, and by the way, find out, does he really love the Lord? Is he walking with God? Is he living his word? Ask him, ask him or her, what, what's God been speaking to you lately? What have you been praying for lately? Does he have a genuine relationship with God? Does she have a genuine relationship with God? Is he or her walking with God, living God's word, contributing to God's word? Is he involved in a local church family? If he hasn't been in church for years, it's doubtful that he's actually really a believer. Is he even attending church anywhere? Because man, you're gonna be connected to a local church family. If you love Jesus, you're gonna love his bride and you're gonna be connected to a local church family. That's just, that's a fact. And, and so is he contributing to God's work through a local church family? Is he making an impact in this world? Is he anxious to tell people about Jesus? And is he doing all that for God's glory? Who's he living for? And that's, that's all part of that. We must have spiritual unity. By the way, I do not believe in missionary dating, okay? Or flirting to converting, okay? Does that make sense? That somehow I'm gonna win him to the Lord. Probably not, I mean, if you were down a couple steps and I'm trying to pull you up and you're gonna to try to pull me down, who do you think is gonna win? What are the chances of them pulling me down as opposed to me pulling them up? It's a greater chance that they're gonna pull me down than for me to pull them up. And I see that happen all the time. And so we must have spiritual unity and you may say, well, what if you're married to an unbeliever? Love them and pray for them. Love them and pray for them. Here's the next one. We must have life purpose compatibility. I gave you the verse there, Amos 3.3, 3, but the couple of gals that I dated before Nancy, I would not be a pastor to this day because there was not life purpose compatibility. They would have nev never been able to hang tough like my bride has been able to hang tough with this, this job of, of me pastoring or even me previous to this as a medic, paramedic. I mean, she's one tough gal, but God... God has shaped her and called her for this task. And we together, there's a synergy in my life as a result of her impact 
you know, in my life. And so that's, that's really important. We must have life purpose compatibility. And we must both be emotionally healthy. Woo, there you go. And really, that's what these, uh, all these nine characteristics of, uh, you know, this would be nine characteristics of unhealthy people. Samson is, or people who lack character are, these things here. And I gave you a number of verses there. And I, this is what I hear from people from time to time. I, I kind of crack up because I, I said the same thing, but <laughs> it goes like this. I never had all these problems until I married her. Or here's better yet. You're looking your spouse in the eye and you're saying, I never had all these problems until I married you. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, you had all those problems. In fact, listen, listen to this quote here. Um, it has been said, marriage is the Mack truck. You drive over the bridge of your life. It doesn't create the flaws. It reveals the flaws already in the structure. They've always been there. Marriage is just bringing it out for you. <laughs> Praise God for marriage. I mean, it's a great sanctifying process in our lives. And I actually kind of thought that initially because I was so proud and so self-righteous. I thought I had it all together. She's the one that's messed up. This would be a really good marriage if it wasn't for you. And God was saying, no, 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 you're not responding. You're more like a thermometer than a thermostat. You're not responding to her even appropriately and you have flaws in your life. That's why you're reacting the way you're reacting. And so I had to learn that. Do you guys ever, you know, do you ever have these uh, commercial jingles that roll around in your mind? They're like earworms is what, and the reason why they, it, it, they just drive you batty, where there's one that's been driving me batty here lately. And I, I, I sang part of it last night, and, and part of the congregation was able to kind of finish it. So see, see if you know this, uh, this jingle. I'm going to try to sing it for you. Let me clear my voice. <laughs> You don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. Woo! That's the dumbest commercial in the world. When Nancy and I first saw that, we thought it was a joke. Nothing against you cowboys and cowgirls and farmers out there. But that's dumb. Here, here's a couple of the ideas here that I have. Some of you actually remember that, heard that commercial, obviously. But uh, human romance is, is a glorious experience, but even the best is a gift and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing God's infinite love. If you don't develop a deeply fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. See, emotional health, it starts with contentment in him. See, lonely, insecure people become lonely, insecure Married people. You don't have to be lonely. Farmersonly.com. If you're, if you're lonely, you ought to run from that person because they're going to be majorly codependent. There's going to be major issues that they're bringing into that relationship. That's what you're looking for, by the way, in a, in a spouse. You want to see that they have such a contentment in Christ. You want what they have that contentment, and then they're going to only be able to bring that abundance into the relationship as opposed to some kind of a deficit. That's really big. That's, that's really important. Identity in any, anyone or anything other than Christ is essentially unstable. Here's number three. Okay. Number three. We're doing good on the time. So number three, assimilated into the world. This is what we find with, uh, with people who lack character. Samson is, people who lack character is assimilated into the world. Verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. If you, could kind of, if you went through that verse fast, you'd, you'd not see what's going on here. This is really a fascinating verse. What has been missing from the judges' cycle, from this judges' cycle? Every cycle has, there's a consistent cycle that the people of Israel have been going through. It starts with complacency in their relationship with God. Complacency leads to compromise. Compromise leads to chaos and crisis because they, they think, they start doubting God's love and wisdom for their life, so they start taking a path outside of his boundaries it creates chaos, problems, and before long, they're crying out to God. God sends a judge to rescue them, and then there's this uh, covenant renewal, and they kept going through that cycle over and over again. Guess what? This time, they're not crying out. 
They're not crying out. They are just like the world they live in. They're content. They're content in this world, not realizing, no, no, no. They desperately need God. Israel has not cried out for rescue from oppression. This is the greatest threat they have ever faced. Not elimination by extermination, but by assimilation. Now, as Christians, God's called us to make a difference in this world, to make an impact. And so there's different ways that people try to respond to the world. Is that one way is I hear people and Christians, they'll, they'll try to isolate. They'll isolate from the world, and they might have a message, but they don't have an audience. They have no friends in the world. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible says you don't do that. Or we might assimilate. And what happens with assimilation is that we're too much like the world. We have an audience, but we don't have a message. Listen to me. Nobody wants to be like Samson. The Philistines are looking at Samson and saying, this is one big goof, and you're God's chosen man of power. They're even looking at the nation of Israel. They don't want to be like them because they're just like them. They're like the Philistines. There's no distinction. There's no difference in their lives. So they might have an audience. They don't have a message. You lose your, your message in that when you, through the assimilation. No, God's called us to, to infiltrate, infiltration. Is that there's, there's, there's something about us. We're like Jesus who was a friend of sinners and yet he was, he was able to radically identify and yet he was radically different from the world. So where there's a distinctiveness about our lives and yet we love people. That they say, hey, I, I disagree with you and yet I can't help but know that you, you love me and you want to relate to me. That's how Jesus was and that's what God has called us to do. Sheldon uh, Van Aken Put it this way, I don't even know who that dude is, but, uh, but this is what he said. I, I liked what he had to say. The best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness, the strongest argument against Christians is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug in complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So, so we are to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. So in the world, not of the world, John 17, 15 through 19. It should come as no surprise that God's strategy for evangelism is a beautiful bride. That God wants us to be on display to point the world to, to him. People who live in vital union and communion with God radiate his glory in a manner that is always warm and inviting, never cold and condemning. So the more you spend time with him, you're gonna be able to relate and identify with the world and yet at the same time you're gonna be different from the world to be able to point, point to him. That's the idea. Now, okay, we spent a good amount of time, did a little better than what we did last night and so let's pick up the pace here and I'm going to summarize some of these verses look at verses uh, 5 through 9 Samson travels to Timnah a lion attacks him but he kills it with his bare hands later Samson passes by the lion's carcass and notices that bees have made honey in it that he eats and takes it home to his parents without telling them where he got it well that's crazy because he's not even supposed to be touching dead things remember Nazarite vow that was one of the three and so one was that he's not to cut his hair, the third is not to drink alcohol, or the second drink alcohol, the third is not to touch dead stuff. He's touching something dead here, but he doesn't tell his family. In verse 10, chapter 14, Samson throws a beer keg party to celebrate his engagement. Wow, it sounds like he's violating his Nazarite vow again. Yeah, and he has no Israelite friends, so it shows how isolated he is from his own people. So they round up some 30 Philistine men for his wedding party. Let me give you a couple more characteristics of, of unhealthy people, dysfunctional people, or people who lack character. The next one is this duplicitous. He's two-faced. Verse 6, he did not tell his father and mother. Verse 9, he did not tell them where he got the honey. Matthew 6, 1 through 8 talks about this idea of hypocrisy. And, and hypocrisy is where there's this disparity between what you say and how you live, between your public and private life. And you're seeing this with Samson. And when you see that in a, in a, in a potential spouse, that's a deal breaker. There's a lack of character in that. Here's the next one, number five. He's uncommitted. He's a promise breaker. He's breaking his Nazarite vow. He's not following through. 
And you see that in verses 8 through 9, he scrapes honey out of a dead carcass of a lion. Verse 10, Samson prepared a feast. And it says there, for so the young men used to do. This is, he's very consistent with the culture. And then in Judges 16, 17, and 19, next week, we're going to talk about that. He puts himself in a position where he lets his hair get cut. And so he is undisciplined, he's uncommitted, there's no follow-through, he's not a person of his word. Now, why is that so important? Why are these both so important in relationship? If you can't trust someone, I mean, if, if someone's not truthful, you can't trust them. And if you can't trust them, guess what? You're not going to get close to them. And you're not going to have intimacy, and therefore you're not going to have much of a fulfilling and a fruitful relationship. And that's all part of it. He's undermining his relationships. Now, verses 11 through 15, let's summarize these. During the, the seven-day engagement party, Samson uses his experience with the lion to give the men a riddle and promises these 30 men of his wedding party 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes if they can answer the riddle. But if they can't, they owe him 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Here's the, the riddle. It's in, found in verse 14. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. What is he talking about? Yeah, the line. He's bragging is what he's doing. He's basically saying, hey, I'm going to tell you a story about what I did. I killed a lion with my bare hands and went back later and there was honey in it. That's what he's trying to get across, but he's kind of doing it in a roundabout way. He's doing this as kind of a wager. And, um, and so after three days, they can't solve the riddle, so they threaten to, to burn the bride in her father's house with fire if she doesn't tell them the answer to the riddle. Wow, pretty rough wedding party. It's my kind of wedding party. That's crazy. Now, let me read verses 16 through 17. This is uh, verse chapter 14. Let's read that. Notice how she responds. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. <laughs> you do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. I'm going on a talk show and telling the world. <laughs> okay, it doesn't actually have that last part on the text, but in essence, that's what she's saying. And, and he said to her, behold, I have not even told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? I mean, when you think about it, it was just a wager that he made, and here she's crying. Now, notice how she badgers him. She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. Oh, my goodness. She wins the award of nagging, Okay. She is one unbelievable nagger. And notice what's this. On, on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Oh, my, I just got to get, I can't live with this anymore. Okay, I'll tell you. And, um, and then she, and guess what? He tells her, and then she told the riddle to her people. Isn't that crazy? Let's talk about this next point. So uh, people who lack character, Samson is without boundaries, controlled and manipulated by others. And we're going to probably, uh, I'll talk more about it this next week, but after the first year, we're going to do a whole relationship series. Uh, I've been thinking and kind of working through uh, some things, and I want to deal just one whole weekend just on boundaries. It's, just, it's one of these issues that I don't think we really understand. I see a lot of people... Uh, not know how to deal with boundaries and they, they allow themselves to be controlled and manipulated by others or they're the ones that, that are doing the controlling and manipulating of others. There's two types of controlling people. Um, there's people who use anger. I'll be mad. You better jump through my hoop so I can feel better about myself. I'm gonna be angry. Or there's people who use guilt. I'll be hurt. See, that's what she's doing. She's using hurt. And she just badgers them over and over again. See, a, a boundary is a property line. It defines what I'm responsible for and not responsible for. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 gives us what, those, what boundaries consist of. Boundaries consist of two things, uh, grace and, and truth. And to have good boundaries, you have to have both. Grace says, I'm for you no matter what. Truth says, I need to give you some feedback so that you don't ruin yourself or you don't ruin this relationship. So it's in the context of grace, 
You speak truth. So you work really, really, really hard with the grace because you need a cradle of security for your moments of vulnerability. And so if you, you begin to speak truth and they're defensive, you gotta go back to the, to the grace and continue to reinforce that so that you can speak the truth to them. And uh, that's part of it. Truth says, I, you know, says I need to give you feedback so that you don't ruin yourself or ruin this relationship, and that's in the context of grace. Grace provides the safety we need, and truth provides the structure we need. That's really important. So we'll talk about that later on, and we'll certainly be talking more about it this next weekend. So verses 18 through 20, the men answer the riddles. So Samson goes out, kills 30 men, takes the clothes, and pays the wager. This is one messed up dude. And Samson is infuriated with his wife because she has caused him to lose the wager, and he goes home to live with Mama. Mama, this woman. I mean, that's exactly what happens in verses 18 through 20. And so he goes home to live with his parents. And this is what's crazy. So the bride's father gives her to the best man. Oh, he's not here, so here, why don't you marry the best man? I mean, this is like the reality TV program of the Kardashians or Jersey Shore. I mean, this is crazy. And this is what I love about the Bible. This is why I love studying the Bible, because it's God's word. It's inspired of God. It's infallible. And it's real. I mean, this isn't sugar-frosted flakes, okay? This isn't sugar-coated. I, I love how the Bible just tells it like it is. And that's what we're seeing. This is what we're, we're experiencing. Now, that's the end of chapter 14. Let's dive into chapter 15. I'm going to summarize some of it here. Judges 15, 1 through 5. Discovering that his wife was given to another, Samson blows a head gasket, catches 300 foxes, ties the tails together, in pairs, lights a torch fastened to each. The foxes run into the fields of the Philistines, burning their grain to the ground. Verse 6. The Philistines strike back by killing the woman given away in marriage and her father. Verses 7 and 8, in retaliation, Samson kills more Philistines. Verses 9 through 14, his own people get tired of all the, 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 the junk that he's stirring up between the Israelites and the Philistines, you know, all the conflict that he's stirring up. And so his own people bind Samson with ropes to give him over to the Philistines, but what does he do? He breaks the ropes like they're nothing. I mean, like, like they're toilet paper, just breaks them. And now we pick up the story. Let me read verses 15 through 17. This is great, okay? So they, they tie him up. They're going to give him over to the Philistines. He breaks the ropes, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He's supposed to stay away from dead things, but he picks up this fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck down a 1,000 men. And Samson said... Check this out. Samson's going to write a little hip-hop tune. <laughs> with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. I mean, in, in Hebrew, that rhymes. So when it's translated into English, <laughs> that rhymes. I, I couldn't come up with anything in, in, in our English language. But guess what? I mean, you thought that hip-hop started in the Bronx in 1970. No, it didn't. It started right here 3,000 years ago. And notice this. This is cool. Look at verse 17. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. Like a hip-hop star, boom! <laughs> he drops the mic and walks off the stage. <laughs> yeah, baby! Do you see it? Uh, it's crazy. And that place was called Ramath Lehi. Now, okay, so we got, here's a couple more uh, characteristics. This dude is one proud dude. Pride, proud. Samson is proud. He's boasting about himself. And we saw that in chapter 14, verse 12. Let me put a riddle to you. I'm smarter and stronger than you. Proud people love to talk about themselves. They love to brag about themselves. Pride, selfishness, is the number one cause of conflict in relationships. Let me say it again. Pride, selfishness, 
is the number one cause of conflict in, in relationships, and this is what we have in him. Humble people are content and incredibly interested in, in you. The gospel makes us other-directed because, because we already have our treasure and pleasure in Christ. We have a contentment in him. And of course I'm gonna be interested in you. I want you to have what I have. So I'm gonna find out about you and help you to connect with him. I don't need to use you to try to boost my ego. I've got all that I need in him. And next thing is that we see that he's awfully bitter. Boy, that's a, that's a red flag in a relationship. If you've got someone that uh, you see them with some outburst of anger, uncontrollable anger, even when you bring up certain names or around certain people, you have this kind of an attitude. And certainly you see this with uh, Samson. Uh, chapter 14, verse 19, it actually says, in hot anger... Chapter 15, verse 3, I shall be innocent in regard to doing harm to the Philistines. You can see this bitterness, this anger. Chapter 15, verse 7, I will be avenged on you. Chapter 15, verse 8, and he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. In other words, it's saying in our language, he opened up a can of whoop butt on them is what it's saying. I mean, that's what it's saying. Here's what it says. I don't think this is on your notes, but you can write this down. Proverbs 22, 24. Proverbs 22, 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Now, let's go back to the story. Let's read verses 18 through 20. This is where we'll finish up uh, the 15th chapter. We're making good time here, good pace. So as soon as he had finished speaking, we see that, you know, he, it, it, this place is named, called Ramoth Lehi, after he does his little hip-hop song, and notice what his response, and he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Yeah, he's got a bit of an attitude. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came from it and when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived, therefore the name of it was called in Hakkor. It is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Okay, so here's the last, last attitude issue that he's got. This has to do with Samson and people who lack character are entitled in gratitude. God owes me. First, for the first time, Samson speaks to God who has chosen him, empowered him, but this prayer is neither humble or faithful. He basically demands that God help him. God is a means to an end for Samson, and, God, and Samson is only using God when he is in extreme situations. You're gonna see the same thing happen. He won't speak to God again until in 1628, that's what we'll talk about next week, where he is blind, his eyes have been gouged out, and he's treated like a circus animal. And finally, at last, he's crying out, out to God. Now, this is what I've learned through the years, and I'm, I don't have it wired, and I have characteristics of all of these in my life, and so do you. Every one of us struggle in these areas to greater or lesser degree. That's why we're desperate for Jesus. But this is what I've learned as it relates to entitlement. And when I f cop an attitude towards God and I'm, I don't have gratitude, which should dominate my life if I'm really trusting him. And, and the reason for that is that I don't really understand what I have in God. See, when you really understand what you have in God, you're not gonna be envious. You're not gonna be jealous. Because what you have in God is so much better than anything, anything this world could ever offer. But obviously he's not living in the reality that he believes the biggest lie of all times. Biggest lie of all times? Yeah, that he's gonna find a satisfaction in creation, his deepest soul satisfaction in creation as opposed to from the creator. He really believes that. That's the lie, that's the lie that's prevalent in our culture today. That's why you see people chasing after all kinds of stuff. That's why he's chasing after this stuff. He, he doesn't understand that his contentment is only found in God and him alone. And, and, and Samson could have brought revival and renewal to his people, but he squanders this. You don't want to live this kind of life, and yet God still uses him. Now, how to become people of character? Let me give you these. Let's knock this out. We're doing good. 
Number one, believe that God is working all things for our good and his glory, not only in spite of our sin, but even through our sin. We go back to verse four of chapter 14, but his father and mother did not know that it was, that it was from the Lord. But his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. I mean, this is a crucial verse in the Samson narrative, the key to understanding the whole, the whole story. So, so God in his sovereignty is using Samson's sinfulness to bring about deliverance. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Listen to what Tim Keller has to say. The supreme example of this is found in Acts 2.23 where we see God use the free, wicked choices of human beings to put Jesus to death, therefore redeeming the world from free, wicked choices. Though the people who put Jesus to death were doing so wickedly, God arranged things so their wickedness only fulfilled redemptive purposes. Isn't that crazy? That's the sovereignty of God. Ephesians 1.11, Job 4.42.2 says that God's purposes won't be thwarted. By the way, Samson is in the Hall of Faith. You guys know where the Hall of Faith is? Canton, Ohio? No, actually, it's, it's in Hebrews 11. And he's in Hebrews chapter 11 as being a, a hero of, of the faith. And you're thinking, What? Because at the end of his life, he, he certainly does cry out to God. And so, he's going to be in heaven. And you're going to think, how would a guy like that make it to heaven? I think that we're going to all get to heaven. We're going to find people in heaven. We're going to go, wow, I can't believe you're here. And then they're going to look at you and they're going to go, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's by God's grace. It's God's grace. Do you understand God's grace? God's grace is God's favor on people who deserve God's wrath through Jesus. God draw, draws straight lines with crooked sticks. If he waited for all of us to get it together before he used us, he wouldn't use any of us. And this is what it tells us more than anything, that there's no sin that we have committed or sin that's been committed against us is a match for God's grace. God's working in our lives. We blow it, we get back up, we keep running back to him. That's what we do, and he's gonna work it for our good and his glory. Here's the next thing. We gotta know the difference between gifts and fruit. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. I mean, I've seen, oh my goodness, in my life I've seen a lot of very talented, gifted people squander their potential because of their lack of character. We tend to fixate on, on giftedness. Someone, oh man, this guy can teach. Oh my goodness, look how gifted they are. And I've seen a lot of those guys crash and burn because the focus should be character. It should always be character. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. That's what you want to focus on in your own life. And uh, that's really important. How do, we, how do we cultivate that fruit right here? Number three, our personal relationship with God rather than our religious activities is the best indicator of spiritual health. Let me ask you some questions as it relates to that. Is your time with God warm, enjoyable, and consistent? See, it's in abiding in him. It's cultivating this relationship with him, a genuine relationship with him, not just going through the motions, not checking the church box, not reading your Bible, just going through the motions, but connecting with the creator of the universe. You can see with Samson, he doesn't have much of a relationship with God. And, um, and yet we know that he's gonna be in heaven and, and I, it's because he cries out at the very end, which I was thinking about that a little bit because when we all get to heaven, are you guys gonna cover my back because he might kind of lay a good one on me after the way I've been talking about him throughout this whole teaching here today. But it's interesting. It's interesting when you look at that and, and what he needed more than anything is he needed this genuine relationship with God. Is your time with God warm, enjoyable, and consistent? Is there mutual giving and receiving of truth and love between you and God? Or like Samson, do you only pray as a last resort and only for yourself and your own desires? Here's another important question. Is your obedience to God motivated out by fear and or pride or is it an overflow of a heart that is overtaken by the beauty and glory of the true and better Samson, the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, you don't motivate your kids through fear and pride. We don't teach our kids to, to live for God out of fear. God's going to get you, or pride. You don't want to be like all those losers over there that don't have character. 
That's not going to last. That's extrinsic motivation. They need to have intrinsic motivation, a heart that's captivated by the beauty and the glory of God, living for his glory. So do you live for his glory? Or you do it, you read your Bible, you pray, you come to church as long as someone's watching, you don't realize, no, 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 listen, you're living for an audience of one before the face of God. Do you have that kind of relationship? Here's the last one. Avoid Lone Ranger Christianity. Intimate fellowship in a local church family is the best way to ensure growth in character and the integrity of our inner and outer lives. <clears throat> Avoid Lone Ranger Christianity. Intimate fellowship in a local church family is the best way to ensure growth in character and integrity of our inner and outer lives. Next week, we're going to talk about unsafe people. Because Samson picks up a prostitute, then he, then he hooks up with Delilah, and that is a marriage made in hell. And so we're going to take a look at that, and uh, can't wait. So let's pray. God, I know that every one of us here have some of these uh, character qualities of, of dysfunction, of a lack of character in our lives to a greater or lesser degree. God, I, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and continue to grow us. Help us to see that it's not what happens to us, but what happens in us. We tend to blame shift. That's how we like to live our lives, blame it on any number of things, but God, let us learn how to take responsibility, ability to choose our response, that it's not what happens to us, but what happens in us, that, that either makes us or breaks us in life. May our, our behavior be the product of choices based on our biblical values as opposed to our behavior being the product of our feelings based on the people, things, and circumstances of our life. Help us to become more and more mature with Christ-like character as we, as we walk with you, as we live your word, as we contribute to your work, as we make an impact in this world, all for your glory, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.